Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi, recording from MDL Group. Recognized market leaders in commercial real estate brokerage and property management in Las Vegas, Nevada. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. We are on site at the NAOP May program. NAOP, as you very well know now, is the Association for the Commercial Development Community. With me is NAOP Chapter President Sean Donosky, CEO of DC Building Group, one of our more active general contractors here in Las Vegas. Sean, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. Welcome back from London. Yes, London was a great trip. I feel like I was gone for a month. Has the jet lag wore off? Uh, it wore off yesterday, so I finally was able to sleep last night. Terrific. If you ever go, direct flight, fly virgin, nonstop, only way to travel. That's a good takeaway here. Let's get into our takeaways from this morning. There's a lot to get into. The title was, The Current Economic Climate. Is, the, is this the calm before the storm? The panel was moderated by Matt Stater, who is the head of research and GIS mapping at Colliers International. On the panel was Jeff Lepore, principal of Lepore Developments. I would say he's one of our more creative developers in the market. With him was Adam Horowitz, owner of Lever 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 Lever, Lever Capital. Uh, Adam's our, our money source this morning. And then Marlene Fujita, a longtime staple here in investment sales with CB Richard Ellis. So the reason that the panel was designed like this is that now being the development association, when you have a developer like Jeff Lepore saying, you know what, it feels like it's time to build something, he'll go to someone like Matt and say, you know, it feels like it's time to build something. Here's what I'm thinking. Give me some stats. Give me the research. Tell me the absorption. Tell me the supply. Tell me the demand. Then he'll go to somebody like Marlene and say, hey, I'm thinking about building this. If I build it, when I fill it up, what do you think you can sell it for? So you get your exit number, and then you go to someone like Adam and say, Adam, I've got this great idea. I've got all the stats to prove it up. The brokers told me it makes sense for the market. Give me the money. So that, in a way, is a, a live conversation of how it happens for a real-life developer like Jeff Lepore. I have to say the event sponsor this morning was Cox Business. Thank you, Terry Resch. And Cox, we would be remiss to say um, a bigger thank you from NAOP as our ongoing platinum sponsor and the room today was set for 230 so cox got a bang for their buck with their sponsorship and terry i thought did a great job of telling us some of the stuff about cox that we don't know about yeah i think cox is as much as everybody knows them what they do and the invest in the community is really understated she talked about different projects that they're investing throughout the valley and she said it was like $1.8 billion invested in Southern Nevada, or actually in Nevada, in infrastructure and just into the community. And I know I've been in a handful of nonprofits where Cox is continuing to provide them their internet access service and just continue to help. Pro bono? Yes. Very cool. Thank you, Cox. So why, why this conversation and why now? I mean, the, the sort of rumblings of when's the next recession have been have been kind of in our development and real estate and construction circles for the last year or so. I, so felt, I felt that there was some probing of 
looking for the debate of recession, no recession, impact, no impact, Southern Nevada, the rest of the U.S. It was, it was kind of an underlying wave, if yep. you want to call it that. And I thought Matt, as the moderator, did an excellent job of keeping that probe. He started the conversation with statistics, as you would expect. He said that the yield curve inverted in March of this year and in May, similar to back in 2006, when the yield curve inverted, and then we had a great recession shortly thereafter. So after this, I'm going to go Google yield curve and get smarter on this topic. I know that it's the relationship between a three-year three year treasury and a 10-year treasury, I think. But someone as smart as Matt said, hey, this is something we should be paying attention to. He framed the conversation with, this is happening. We can't ignore it. The yield curve inverted. What do you guys think? Is there a recession? And then they went back and forth from everyone's perspective, the, the developer, capital markets, investment sales. What are they actually seeing on the ground that would signal, yes, recession, no recession, if recession, how much of a recession? That was the nature of the conversation. It, it was, and it was very helpful to hear perspectives from people like Jeff Lepore, where he's comparing Las Vegas to Phoenix to Denver and the different dynamics of where the capital's going. And then Adam. Adam, the bulk of their clients are national, so he gives a perspective on what they think of Las Vegas and what the risks are in Las Vegas, as well as what they like about the entire state of Nevada. And then toward the end, I'll talk about some. I had a little sidebar with Julie Cleaver, president-elect for the chapter, for the NAOP chapter, and vice president of planning and development for Howard Hughes Corporation. What she talked about is one of her takeaways, but I don't want to jump too far ahead. Let's get right into the start of the conversation. Is the development market healthy here in Las Vegas? And then Jeff Laporte teed us off and really gave us a, an umbrella of what he's seeing big picture locally. Jeff was optimistic. He, he feels like we're in a good run for a specific large industrial product. Uh, he still believes there's a strong lack of available high-quality office space in, in a desirable location of the Valley. So he, he seemed pretty, um, pretty aggressive that there's still a run to be had. And I think it's important that when you get into a, in a conversation like this, that folks like Jeff, folks like Marlene, folks like Adam, everybody here at NAOP, we don't generalize the market to say there's 12%, 13% office vacancy. Because the other side of that coin is if you look at the 215, which they talked a lot about today, the 215 Beltway from Summerlin, kind of like the Sahara Town Center exits down to I-15, it's just not true. There is not 12%, 13% office vacancy in higher quality Class A, Class B and B plus product. There's a shortage. Yeah, Jeff did not. Jeff nor Marlene talked about what the vacancy was along that strip of roadway, but I would imagine it's pretty low. Well, if Jeff is planning a project there at, at kind of Durango in the 215 of 100,000 square feet, he knows that it's it's low enough that it's time to build something to create some supply for the for the demand. He did. We'll jump ahead a bit. He did talk about you know as he's planning this project because I think this is interesting and kind of a key component to where we're at as a market. So he's planning a hundred thousand square foot four story office development, and the question was asked from the audience: Who goes in there? Who do you expect? Who are you building it for? And he said office tenants around ten thousand square feet and up. And he's expecting a lot of that to be local growth, which was interesting. It wasn't, um, you know, building it for the corporate users that are floating around the market that don't have a place to land. I don't even know if that exists. But local growth, folks moving from the central core 
more undesirable from a uh, commute standpoint for their workforce. Yeah, the ex access to the 215 makes where he's talking much more easier access in the morning and the evening. Many of the tenants may be in Summerlin, near downtown Summerlin, or in the southwest near Mountain's Edge. So what would stop his development, more development? They talked about some constraints that we have that we cannot ignore, and they're actually, in a way, good constraints for our market. So we're choked, we use the word choked, by land cost and land availability, contrasting the land availability and cost of Las Vegas to cities like Phoenix and Denver. Yeah, the constant land restriction seems to seems to be a continuing theme that we hear time and time again. Because if the land is there, then it's too expensive. It's too expensive for the deal to pencil. And then along the 215, there's not all there's not a lot of large parcels. Some of the parcels, as I believe Jeff and Marlene mentioned, were very small and broken up that you would have to assemble them together to put a large enough project together and or owned by the county so they're not in private hands for private development marlene mentioned another niche type of product that we could be building if there was land available at the right cost which is class b call center space with a lot of parking enough parking that they can have the density in the office for a call center and she added a very interesting note to that which um, i found i found a bit of a surprise she says many of those type of people are working from home now, but that has not impacted or reduced the demand for their office space. And they brought up the co-working facilities and the co-working dynamic. Uh, WeWork has just signed leases in the market. I know of one for sure, and I think they're either in the works for an, a second and a third. You know, WeWork is new to the market. It's a big brand in the co-working space. We have had Regis here and Regis expanding for decades. So it's not like it's a new asset to the market, but it is new in that it's kind of like Ikea. It's not like it's the first furniture store that opened, but because they have such a big brand, it's a statement and a signal to where we are as a market that when a WeWork takes a large position here. As our population continues to grow, I think companies like Ikea, they have thresholds that when the population hits the area, then they open the market to it. So as we opened up, Adam also had some conversation. He had some conversation about who's, who's lending to who, and he talked about investors are being more interested in listening or investing in someone that has a history. Go to somebody like a, a Jeff who has a track record versus somebody who's maybe a smaller or newer developer, maybe harder for them to get money. So land cost, land availability, um, there's a lot of capital out there, but the capital is being selective, going, uh, choosing more established developers, experienced developers. So you add that other constraint to you don't have the back of the envelope off the pickup developer active in the market right now, as maybe we might have had in, in previous cycles where, um, you know, Doug Roberts has a great line, uh, ill-located, ill-conceived, ill-designed projects that should just be scraped. We're not seeing those. So what we are seeing is experienced developers, um, selective capital sources, and really just if it's coming out of the ground, there's a story and, there, and it's a healthy story. Which seemed, from the panel, that things like that seem to give them um, comfort in the lack of a recession or potentially being able to avoid that or prolong a, a recession. So Marlene then jumped into investment sales. 
Interesting. She said that they're feeling a slowdown in investment sales, not just here in Las Vegas, but nationally. They can't put their finger on it. They've, they've, you know, I'll tell you what struck me about Marlene is that she's not a like sales agent type. She is an executive that looks at, um, you know, she would take the time to to survey her colleagues across the country to say, hey, we're seeing a slowdown here. What are you saying? She talked about their colleagues in the Newport Beach area feeling a slowdown. Um, her managing director also surveying other markets, and they're seeing a slowdown. This is specifically for investment sales. They can't put their finger on it. Who knows what it is? Well, I think there was a there was a that was a common theme between all three of the panelists is being able to utilize the national resources and the national influence versus just seeing it from a Las Vegas or Southern Nevada perspective. Her, her words were investors, national investors are cautious. Yep. They're still investing. They're doing more homework. The other side to that is if you have the right product, investors are tripping over themselves, buying them at lower yields than ever before. So Jeff talked about big box, high quality industrial. Uh, he's sold, I don't know if he sold four, he's tracked four of these types of sales in the region. And there's too much money chasing those. Yeah, he, he referenced, uh, I think it was four or five deals that were potentially in the Denver area. And the cap rates were so aggressive, uh, he, was, he was surprised at that. And, but he hasn't seen that hit Phoenix or Southern Nevada yet. He did talk about the high watermark for industrial sales. Back in 2005, was $132 a square foot. And we're just now back to that pricing. He also noted that other states have hit their high water mark two or three years ago. Yeah, so we talk about if there's a recession, does it really affect Las Vegas or how? We're a, we've heard this time and time and time again. We were late to recovery compared to other markets. So I have a theory. I wrote about it on my blog and takeaways that anyone who listened to, if they're calling a recession, when I wrote the article, they were calling it for 2019, 2020, or 2021. The only person that I've seen say give a reason was this organization called ITR, and they said it would be because of a drop in consumer spending, which makes up 70% of our GDP. And I, I predicted that if there is a national recession, Las Vegas would just skip that recession for the reason that we were late to the recovery. We have so much in the development pipeline. We, I don't think that we would feel it. Most recessions we have to remember last 12 to 18 months at the most. Everyone in this room still has scar tissue and the way that they were talking, they still have scar tissue to the global great recession. And I think everyone in the market, when they talk about the next recession, they're, they're kind of preparing or bracing themselves for something that catastrophic. In, I, in ITR's article, I think more importantly than the years they talked about the recession is the cause. So when you spoke about the cause, when we see that, that's when we, the clock starts ticking in their eyes, in their projections. So great segue into Matt's next question to the panels. He said, from your perspectives, what stats do you guys watch? What do you monitor to say, are we, you know, pedal to the metal? Should we be pulling back? Adam started with, you know, again, he's the lender. He's the, the money source guy. He looks at consumer confidence, unemployment, um, his investors look at specifically what is the job growth in the market? What is the population growth in the market? 
Marlene kind of echoed those sentiments. Jeff, as the developer, looks at job growth, consumer confidence. He looks at inventory, absorption, supply, demand. So I thought, interestingly, everyone has their own lens that they look at and their own stats that they watch. And again, everyone said consumer confidence is at an all-time high. Job growth, actually, Jeff said that it, was, it wasn't so... It was just okay here in this market, but population growth is great. And Jeff said that the industrial market from his metrics are as strong as he's ever seen it. So when he's looking at his measurables and his indicators, he's looking at how well the product is moving. So an interesting conversation that we should dig into a bit was Jeff's office building that he's planning to build. Again, 100,000 square feet. With market lease rates, he believes he will have to sell this to an investor for $400 a square foot. Now, up the road from his current project, he's at Durango in 215, he built the last office building that was like this. It's kind of like just south of Russell, I want to say, or in the, in the Russell exit of 215. A nice gray building that's LEED certified. They sold it um, right after the recession. And Marlene, interestingly, currently has that building on the market for sale at $330 a square foot with uh, light interest from investors because of the price per square foot. So there's a disparity between what Jeff would have to build today and expect that he will be able to sell it for $400 a square foot to what is on the market now that's not moving at $330 a square foot. And what I thought was brilliant about this conversation is to me, this is the magic of development. Even with that $70 square foot disparity on 100,000 square feet, do the math, Jeff's optimistic, he's charging ahead, he believes there will be a buyer for that. Marlene echoed her belief that there would be a buyer for that. And he kind of smirked a bit and said, you know, you only need one buyer. So I, I love the development industry and I love developers specifically because they have that unique ability to see into the future and create a reality that doesn't exist today. Yeah, I think if you look back when Jeff built that that building originally, uh, it was right before the crash and yet it was still one of the only new successful projects out there. And so he has a knack for, for doing something different. And that's a developer. He's got the discipline. He has the experience. He knows what to look for. We talked about other office projects that are planned from Summerlin along the 215 down to I-15. And there's probably half a dozen to 10 right now. And when he was asked that question from the audience, he said, how do you define planned? Some are just in conversation. Some have a pretty picture, a, a site, and they're fishing, which is not something that this market has uh, shown to be successful. You have to get a property. You have to know what to build. He's, you know, why is he building a, a four-story building instead of a six-story building like one of the other ones that's planned? Because he knows you have to get this thing built. So I thought that was an interesting uh, little conversation, a good question from the audience. It was a good note that all of the panelists seemed to have an interest in that particular area of the valley along the 215. Who's going to build what? None of them were willing to, to put a stake in the ground, but they were all willing to say something's going to happen there. Just who's going to do it? Who's going yeah. to make it start? Yeah, there's a little, uh, I think, diplomacy with their answers as far as what will get built, what won't get built. 
there was it, it was interesting there was a lot of conversation around the east part of the valley product specifically office um you know east sahara east desert in east tropicana east tropicana you know marlene talked about her record breaking sale of her entire career was $27 a square foot a couple years ago for an office property and um, use that to illustrate what do you do with something like that and still even at current pricing $60, $70 a square foot for that product, how hard it is to make it work. There was another question from the audience that came up about opportunity zones and I thought the answer was quite interesting that just because it's in an opportunity zone in and of itself doesn't mean it works. However, if you have a property that's, that works on its own merits and in an opportunity zone, you have more interest from investors who are interested in that kind of project. That was a consistent comment uh, from both Jeff and Adam. Yeah. Jeff, from the developer perspective, that if it works without the opportunity zone benefits, it's a good deal. Adam, he had the same comment that if there was a product that came across their desk and it was in an opportunity zone, 90% of them don't even get considered because without the opportunity zone benefits, it wasn't a viable product in their eyes. So Jeff and Adam were uh, probably the identical perspective on, on the pros and the cons of that. My takeaway from that was the, so far the success of the opportunity zone is that it's getting more eyeballs and more people to look at, at those areas and to look at the 100 properties to find the few that will work. And they might have not looked or we wouldn't have had that many eyeballs looking in those in those areas. Did you pick up on some of what Jeff was talking about? The incentives what went from opportunity zone conversation to uh, to incentives like what Texas yes. does. And did you did you pick up on on where he was going or what he was? Uh, what I he did. Felt we should be doing here. Yeah. So there's a separate question from the audience specifically around Ward five, which, again, I will have to go Google where that is in the West Las Vegas area. It was a question of the panel about what do they see will spur development in that area. Jeff's answer, I think, stole the show in that he said uh, incentives and, you know, digging a little further, what type of incentives? And he said free land and the entire audience erupted. Um, so I actually was asking the question and I, and I said, wait a second. Is that a joke or are you being serious? He said, no, I'm being dead serious. Las Vegas isn't known for its incentives for development. Yes, there are some. However, when you compare it to Texas, where he categorized it as free-flowing or... He mentioned that their incentives were in the good times, in the recessions, it's constant. They're always they're there, continuing yeah. Continuing to attract big corporations. And remember the, the panel we had with Rick Myers where he talked about corporate relocations and where they're happening. It paralleled that. Jeff's comment paralleled Rick's presentation here at NAP a couple months ago. Why is J.P. Morgan Chase, why do they have a corporate headquarters there in Texas? And, and he rattled off many other corporations like that, and it was, it was those incentives. And it seemed like it was an extreme answer saying free land, but maybe there's something there to, to pick back a bit further. I was having a conversation with a, a businessman from Charlotte, and, and they were in one of the outskirts of, sh of the Charlotte, one of the smaller cities, and they did exactly that. They brought in one of these large corporations and the ripple effect of the economic impact has been incredible for them. It's been so significant that they actually have not been able to keep up with the growth. So the big question today that Matt posed, there was the same question sort of posed two different ways. Jeff, 
Adam, Marlene, yes or no, will there be a recession in the next 12 months? And then he asked, he asked it a different way. You know, if there is a recession, what will be the impact? And the answers were, I would say, maybe a bit predictable. And there was one that, that we can jump into from Adam. But Jeff, um, it's what you would expect from a seasoned pro. You know, he looks at products. He looks at balance. He looks at, at the overall health of the different sectors that he's in. He's not concerned at all about Las Vegas. To your comment earlier, he's more concerned about what he's seeing in markets like Denver, where the cap rates are so low, he can't make sense of them as a, as a buyer. So that gives him cause for concern, but not here in Las Vegas. Jeff's belief is we do not have an excess of product yet. No excess of product. We have land constraints. We have cost constraints. We have labor constraints. We have all these things that make development exceptionally hard. So the only thing that's getting built are things that should get built. He said, big picture, he doesn't see anything to give him reason that there will be a recession in the next 12, 12 months. Adam says he took a different perspective. He's talking to money sources from outside of the market. Um, and he made an interesting comment. He said, we could be sitting, we could have been sitting here in this room a year ago having the same exact conversation about a recession, and it would, there's been no change in the last 12 months. So from his perspective, not yet. Marlene echoed, she doesn't see any signs at all, and then kind of segued into, what is the exposure if we do get hit by a recession? So Marlene picked up on there are good controls in place. The underlying leases, the lease rates for these properties that she sells are healthy. The, so they're not out of whack. They're not too high. The challenges we had 10 years ago are not the same challenges or indicators of today from her lens. Jeff just reinforced the consumer confidence is still very, very good. And now let's go into what Adam said and what... Um, Julia, Julia and I talked about. Well, one of the things Adam had said is his national level conversations about Las Vegas are a much better perception than they were 10 years ago. Las Vegas, Southern Nevada is a much more stable economy. There's more opportunity. It's more diverse. It's not like it was pre-recession. And the thread that he that we'll pick up on that he said, he made a comment that there is still a sentiment from the overall investment community that if there is a recession, national recession that las vegas will get hit hard which is not at all what we heard here today from the folks here on the ground who are in the trenches so my conversation with julie based on that comment is she said we're kind of like that kid in college that we know who we want to be and where we want to go and we have everyone telling us nope you can't do that yet i thought that was a pretty astute takeaway from from julie I thought it was profound. I think that's it, Sean. Anything else to wrap up here? Opportunity zones, office demand, high-quality product, office along the 215. There was a lot today. Yep. So the answer to the question, is this the calm before the storm? No. <laughs> it's the calm before the calm. Everything's plugging along. So an interesting perspective. While I was in London last week, we took uh, – we were in several high-rise buildings, and one of them we took the London Eye, which is the equivalent of our high roller. Mm -hmm. They're both within about 100 foot of the, the same height of each other. The high roller, I think, is actually modeled after that. So at the very top of this, I looked around, and the London proper population is about 9 million people. 
I counted 140 tower cranes. And the perception there was that that's not a very good economy right now. But yet you look at 140 tower cranes that you can see from one spot. I think that's incredible opportunity as we look at where Las Vegas is going. We're not even at 3 million people. What happens when we continue to go? There's an entirely new economic development um, type of work that happens as we grow and as we redevelop. So for me, it was really encouraging to see. We've got a long ways to go. Very cool, Sean. Thank you for that. Thank you for being with me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Tune in next time. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like this show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.